This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the Partnership for International Birding, offering birders nearly 200 scheduled tours to destinations in the Americas, Asia, Africa, and Oceania. Tour hallmarks include small groups of six to eight participants, excellent lodging and logistics, proven bird finding with the best local guides, and unmatched support for bird conservation. With your help, the Partnership for International Birding can add to the more than 80,000 acres they've already helped to protect. To learn more, go to PIBird.com or call toll-free at 888-203-7464, extension 912. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Burning Podcast from the American Burning Association. I am your host, Nate Swick, and if you are a member of your local burning listserv, you know that there are certain topics that are verboten, if for no other reason than because no one needs their email folders filling up with three dozen angry messages and 30 minutes about whatever. Uh, th- those topics tend to be politics unscrupulous photographers and the corollary to that baiting though I though that may mainly be a northern US and Canada discussion and the third the the rail that I'm going to be approaching tiptoeing up to today cats especially feral cats and especially feral cat colonies my friends the feral cat community is large and loud and litigious. You only have to look at the recent dust-up on the Google campus to see that. Evidently, a feral cat colony maintained on the campus of Google's headquarters. Uh, the colony, the cats in the colony were not staying on the grounds of the headquarters where they were being fed, but were frequently straying over to a nearby park where they were effectively hunting burrowing owls, which of course nest and burrows, which are on or under the ground. The point being that the owls were no longer fledging young and hadn't for a couple years. I'm shocked, as I know you are. This is my shocked voice. I'm shocked. The Santa Clara Valley Audubon Society have been making some headway on introducing ordinances which make re-release of feral cats illegal in Mountain View, California, where Google is located, at least until various national feral cat advocacy groups got involved and started spamming local authorities to prevent the passage of those rules. So loud and large, as I mentioned, that issue is ongoing. But the thing I wanted to focus on today, there is some good news. Our friends at the American Bird Conservancy have come to an agreement with New York State Parks regarding a long-established feral cat colony near Jones Beach State Park in New York City area. Those cats have been preying upon nesting shorebirds, namely piping plover at Jones Beach. A lot of New York area birders had drawn attention to that. Those cats, thanks to the ABC, will be removed. The colony structures dismantled, disposed of, and the state will keep a close eye on that area and trap any cats that they find or that are abandoned there. This is, of course, the result of litigation by ABC and proves that while birders may not quite be as large or loud, we can be equally litigious. And thankfully, we have the Endangered Species Act on our side, at least for now. Anyway, thanks Mike Parr and ABC for their hard and often thankless work dealing with the feral cat issue and their many supporters. On the show today, Move Over Marvel It's the most ambitious crossover event in history. I call it Binfinity Wars. I'm speaking with American Birding Expo heads and hosts of the podcast out there with the birds, Bill Thompson III and Ben Lizdis. We talk about why you need to be at the expo 
in Philadelphia next month, and a little bit about podcasts, binoculars, and why a birding handicap system is a good idea so long as someone other than the ABA does it. We run the gamut, is what I'm saying. All that after this week's records. This is your Redbird focus for the first half of August 2018. The big news for this period was the discovery of a great black hawk in York County, Maine. You might remember that a great black hawk was seen in South Texas last spring. That bird was recently accepted by the ABA checklist committee as the first record for the ABA area. And birds like that in Texas, I mean, they're sort of expected if this species was going to show up north of Mexico, and many birders believe that that was a good possibility at some point. Texas obviously the most likely place. But this bird was in Maine, more than 2,000 miles, as the great black hawk flies, from that Texas sighting. And and this is where it gets really weird. Close examination of the photos by one Tom Johnson, taken of both of these birds, specifically the pattern in the bird's primary underwing coverts, essentially the, the feathers in the bird's palm, more or less, revealed that this was not only Another record of Great Black Hawk in the ABA area. It was the same individual Great Black Hawk. This is, to put it mildly, completely freaking bonkers. So I guess it's a second ABA record, even though it looks like it is the same bird. This reminds me of the zone-tailed hawk that cruised down the eastern seaboard a few years ago, but exponentially more unbelievable. In any case, it stuck around a couple days and was eventually seen and you can't make this up it was seen disappearing over the ocean towards the east so i guess birders in newfoundland should keep their eyes open and you know why stop there iceland birders you're on notice other first records for the period come from connecticut which had two a little egret originally seen in rhode island was tracked into connecticut territory near the town of stonington where it represented a first there and a few days later a black-bellied whistling duck was seen in essex which was also a first uh, those have to be two of the most expected new records for that state but that doesn't take away from the fact that birders there picked them up Roseate spoonbills have been everywhere this summer, now including Quebec, where a young individual in Saint-Martin-de-Bousse represents a first for the province. Also, a neotropic cormorant was seen in Coos County, New Hampshire, by none other than friend of the podcast and former guest Frank Izagiri and his wife Adrienne, uh, where it was a first for that state. Congrats, Frank! This was a short roundup of the notable rarities in the ABA area for this period. For all your rare bird needs, check out the ABA blog every Friday morning. That's blog.aba.org. You can also join our Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA rare or follow the rarity Twitter feed at ABA Bird Alert. The American Birding Expo is returning to the Philadelphia area once more from the 21st to the 23rd of this coming September. It is billed as the world of birding in one place and with the exhibitors from six continents. That is a pretty fair description. My guests today are the Expo runners, Bill Thompson III and Ben Lizdas. Bill is the editor of Birdwatcher's Digest and Ben runs the new optics retailer, Red Star Birding. They are also the co-hosts of the podcast Out There With Birds. So if you are listening to this podcast and not listening to that one, you should you should probably fix that. So welcome, Bill and Ben. You know, congratulations off the top for fighting off that zombie horde at the expo last year. I know it was sort of touch and go for a little bit. It was really tough, Nate. Thanks for having us. It's it's great to be here. You guys do a great job with this podcast, man. No, thanks. You had to be there to witness it. The the the, the zombie horde. I mean, it was it was something else to see the birders and the zombie fans merging together. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was a beautiful thing, actually. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like there's some sort of like uh, ivory build woodpecker crossover, passenger pigeon crossover that you know you could have sort of pushed there. But yeah, water under the bridge now. Yeah. <laughs> One interesting thing that came out of that is uh, uh, there's an author named J.R. Ripley who writes murder murder mysteries. <gasps> I did see that. Yeah, that he's coming to the expo this year. He's coming to the expo, and he took an idea that I gave him just as kind of a a, a throwaway, like a like almost like a in jest, but I thought it would be kind of cool. He could write a murder murder mystery where somebody was murdered at the expo, but nobody noticed because the zombie convention next door had some. So he actually wrote that into his new book, which is debuting at the expo. That's hilarious. Oh, that's great crossover. Mm. (laughs) It's pretty wild. (laughs) So no, no zombies this year for better, for worse, but uh, well, aside from the book, how is the 2018 expo going to be bigger and better than last year? Well, we're moving to Hall A, which is where the zombie people were last year. And (laughs) this is a huge hall that is literally like the Astrodome. It's if people are old enough to remember that the uh, it's, it's a huge hall and we're going to do our best to fill it. We've got a huge optics range this year where people can try out binoculars and scopes and camera lenses. We've got a bunch of vehicles coming for display this year from Honda and Toyota and Subaru and Chrysler. <laughs> the burner cars. Yeah. Right. You know, the cars that burn like we did a survey on that and picked the brands and then reached out to those dealers. And the local dealers are kind of happy to, you know, have an opportunity to oh, that's cool. to dial into a niche group. And you know, we have the normal, like vast array of ecotourism opportunities and mm-hmm. optics uh, optics opportunities. So uh, we're we're really looking forward to it. We have a lot of good programming too this year. Yeah. Seminars during the day and um, this is, you know, this year's really an ABA-centric expo. Um, we've worked closely with with the ABA and you and uh, Jeff and and John Lowry, Lily Taylor, member of the ABA board, um, you know, mm-hmm. movie star, mm-hmm. is going to be our Saturday night keynote, and Saturday afternoon is the uh, ABA members meeting. So we're we're really stoked to have a lot of ABA presence at the expo this year. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, so, what are some things that the attendees absolutely shouldn't miss? at the expo this year, aside, aside from the ABA booth and the, and Lily t- and Lily. Two really wonderful things though. Well, I, I think with Bill touched on the optics range there, you know, we took over this uh, space that the zombies were in last year to uh, have more space to, you know, get more vendors in there, have more features, bring in the cars. The downside was we lost windows. Granted, there weren't a ton of windows oh, last year. Right. So we took this idea of developing an indoor optics range where we're going to have different lighting scenarios. We're going to have stuff, decoy birds we're gonna have vegetation we're gonna have resolution charts so that we're gonna get the optimal created environment for testing optics on which will be a really neat thing i've i don't know the exact dimensions of it bill how many yards deep it's going to be but you know enough where you'll be able to see some (laughs) detail with a spotting scope at a great distance so that i think is going to be one of the highlights another thing that i'm really looking forward to is the photography presence at this year's expo is greater than ever Mm -hmm. in terms of just camera manufacturers being there and sharing all their knowledge about the products that they're making and the various lens manufacturers, but also some of the workshops that we're having. And we're seeing this, you know, crossover with tour companies doing photo tours and birding tours and kind of combining the two, but with photography merging and becoming a more prominent part of the birding market, that's being reflected in what we've got going on at the expo this year more than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I noticed that there were a lot of photography workshops this year. Is that something that you guys specifically wanted to highlight? Or is it something that, you know, the people who are doing the workshops that they came to you and were especially interested in doing? 
Well, it was a little bit of both, but really, you know, we've been seeing this trend with photography coming on. I mean, I think all of us have seen, I, I was just out at the Southeast Arizona Birding Festival and there were quite a few young birders, but also a couple birders, you know, middle-aged birders that were birding with cameras, not, not even taking binoculars along. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm time. not sure I could ever do that. Um, I just love my <laughs> binocular superpower so much. Um, yeah. But there's no doubt as camera technology has gotten more affordable and higher, uh, higher quality, making it easier to take ex expert level pictures, more people are picking it up. And of course, being able to share with cameras that have Bluetooth or, uh, you know, you can send it right to your phone and zip it off to your friends. I mean, it's, it's kind of an amazing time to be a bird photographer. So we've seen that trend coming. It coincided nicely with, uh, Kevin Laughlin from Wildside putting us in touch with Alan's camera, uh, and Brandon, from Alan's uh, family-run business there in the Philly area, so they're our optics, or our, rather our photography retailer at the expo, and they are bringing in a couple of their connections with Nikon and Canon and so forth. So, if you're a bird photographer, this is going to be a really excellent opportunity to sample everything under sort of controlled environment uh, and and talk to experts with with you know and be able to buy, try before you buy or even if you're not even if you're not a bird photographer this would be, but if you're curious about cameras you know this would be a great spot to learn some of the different whiz bang things that are going out there with cameras i mean as someone who has a background in optics sport optics where the pace of technology is glacial these are kind of mechanical devices you know binoculars and spotting <laughs> scopes yeah, my right. head tends to spin a little bit when i try to think of what if i were to try to take all my optics knowledge of sport optics and translate it over to cameras i think to myself oh my gosh i'd have to learn five times as many <laughs> things and relearn that every six months as this technology progresses etc cetera, etc cetera. you know yeah. a place like the expo is great where you have so many experts who fill that you know, knowledge niche that you can talk to. And they also are likely you're going to know about birds and birding. I mean, what a great combination right there. Well, I know that some tour companies are actually doing, you know, very going to the, some of these exotic locales with specific, you know, focus on photography. We're actually doing one uh, next, next year with, with um, tropical birding into Thailand. That is, you know, very much a, a photography centric trip. It's, I mean, it's pretty amazing to see, how many people are getting into it and and with these new mirrorless cameras oh like, yeah they're tiny and they take amazing photos it's it's nuts that's the best <laughs> part about it it's becoming a little bit more portable um as and yeah. especially as someone who when i think of getting into photography i would not be ready to ditch the scope and the binoculars and just bring a camera so i'm the type of person it's going to be like well all right i need to find a way to carry this camera in addition to all this other stuff and boy it better be right. small and right. lightweight because right. the traditional you know, four, 600 millimeter SLR, you know, setup that looks like a shoulder killer to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is. It is. As one that's carried one for years. Yeah. I can tell you. Yeah. You guys get around to a lot of other outdoor expos and fairs. Um, how do birder specific events differ from those? I mean, I, I suppose, you know, how do birders approach these things differently than our sort of outdoor hobby brethren, our friends? Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting question, Nate. I, I, I think when you're part of a niche interest group, whether it's, you know, birding or zombie TV shows or crocheting or whatever, you know, you walk into a show that's dedicated to your avocation, your mm -hmm. hobby, and it's like you just feel at home. You just know that it's like a wonderland of possibilities. Whereas if you go to a bigger, much more general show, like Ben and I uh, were 
at the outdoor retailer show uh, a few weeks back in Colorado. And that's just for everybody who's into the outdoors. And it's largely sort of adventure active sports like, you know, hiking and mountain biking and paddle boarding and stuff. And man, it was fascinating. And there was a lot of cool stuff there that, that I want to see us get into in, in birding, you know, product wise. There was also quite an environmental ethic there that we were really impressed us. But I think it's more sort of bewildering and confusing. And even though that we, we went through that show for two solid days, and I think we fit, covered it fairly well, there was still a lot of stuff that we didn't, you know, get into and, you know, find out about because there were just a million different rabbit holes you could go down, whether it's like, you know, fancy socks <laughs> or, you know, new, new additives you can put in your water bottle to get your electrolytes up or like even, you know, just crazy stuff like that. But we still came away with a bunch of cool things. I just think that birders, it's sort of like going on a tour that's for birding versus going on a general tour to a country, like a bus tour of Europe. You know, you feel much more comfortable as a birder with your your fellow travelers, the people that get it like you get it, as opposed to, you know, we've all been on those trips where they're like, yeah, it's sort of a birding trip. And, and the shows are the same way. I just think people feel much more comfortable in with their people, with their tribe of people. Do you think there's anything that birders can learn from those other outdoor outdoor groups? That's an interesting question. You know, Bill, Bill and I were talking a little bit about this when we were, you know, commenting, commenting to one another on outdoor retailers' role with environmental advocacy. And there's this little this greater um, sense of activism and coming together as a community to say, this is important to us and we're going to put resources and time and have a voice in, in, in this case, one of the big things they were is for preserving access to public land. And the outdoor industry as a whole has really afforded this position for themselves due to their size. They're really significant. Mm -hmm. You're talking about companies like Patagonia and North Face and big players, whereas birdwatching is, is really kind of a niche thing. It, it, it's like as united as we might be to say this is the thing that's important to us, you still have to say, boy, are our numbers there to really move the needle as bird watchers. Birders already buy a lot of that Patagonia stuff, the North Face stuff, the REI stuff. And Absolutely. we might not be able to get those companies to start paying attention to birding, but eventually growth is growth. And they're going to want to, those companies are going to want to exploit every single possibility for sales that they can. And I want to try maybe with some of the, the smaller players and the mid-level players, get some of those folks to tune in to birding. I feel like our, our efforts have brought kind of brought lower boots into the, you know, into the birding realm, they're paying a little bit more attention to birding mm -hmm. now. And I want other companies to follow that. So one of the things we were doing out there in Colorado was evangelizing about birding, you know, in a, in a, mm -hmm. in a way to say, this is a market you guys should be looking at. We're already buying your stuff. Well, I mean, we've got Subaru and Toyota coming to the expo. Right. So <laughs> for birders to pack up scopes and see if they fit in the trunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast out there with the birds. You guys are... Uh, I really enjoy listening to it, for starters. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. You guys have been doing a, uh, a global big ear. How, how's that going? <laughs> wait, wait, are you referring to the Outdoor with the Birds Global Big Ear Challenge trademark? Yes, the, the challenge, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, the Outdoor with the Birds Global Big Ear Challenge TM. Yeah, it's it's been a fun <laughs> hither and yon adventure, and... Uh, I, I think neither one of us actually, this is going to really appall some of your listeners, but neither Ben nor I actually no. knows what our numbers are. Like, I know mine is somewhere out there. I have no idea what it is because 
we've been so interested in seeing the birds and actually tallying the list has been has been a little bit of a conundrum for us. So <laughs> we're going to roll it on into next year, I think, and make it the global yeah. two-year challenge. So, But can you tell me exactly how many birds you've seen, Ben? Well, Bill, I think what you and I are lacking here is proper boundaries. Right. You know, that's, so, that's so, the story so, of my life. Is our, that, uh, yeah, I was going to say, is that, is that different than our, your typical interaction? No. So, so this is a perfect place to talk about it on the ABA podcast because that's these right. are the, yeah. one of the ABA's rules in my mind or within their roles is to set boundaries and guidelines. Well, you mm-hmm. can, you can mm-hmm. accept Hawaii now, you know, and, and Billy, with our out there, our, you know, our standard here for this is the entire globe, how many birds we're going to see the entire year. And that's, kind of keeping it wide open and you get your trips to Colombia. you were in taiwan and mm-hmm. you know so it's you know it, it's, it's like the yugo racing against the porsche here and i'm oh. the yugo folks <laughs> you know I, I feel a little bit like that having said that i'm plucky you know and, and i'm yeah. i'm persistent yeah. but uh, and they I do can, refer to you as gritty, gritty i think is true. exactly yeah. but um you know it's i guess it, for me coming up with that was just my way of adding some discipline to the birding I do when I'm not necessarily doing it for work. You know, I spend so much time mm-hmm. birding when we're at, at birding festivals or doing some of the reader rendezvous that we're doing. When I get home, I'm always distracted by other things. And this year I was like, you know, I'm going to try to do more birding locally. And this out there with the birds global big year challenge was one of those vehicles that was going to inspire me to do so. And I've done some more birding locally. Um, it just hasn't been as down. Well, you know, when I see Bill's list from, you know, Columbia or Southern California or something like that, I say, yeah, that Bell's video is not quite as exciting anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, and I'll, I'll play the therapist here. Ben, you're doing well enough. Oh, God. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I, I'll hear to validate. I'll validate right, whatever ben, you need. The important fantastic. thing is that you're trying. And, and you know, at the end of the year, I, you're going to get... <laughs> A participation ribbon, and it's that, that, yeah. that's yeah. what's important. You were out there trying. You wait. Yeah. You wait. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna surge ahead this fall. I got some secret weapons planned. I'm gonna end up crossing that threshold of I don't know what 800 birds. That's what I'm putting. And I'm this I'm is gonna... like this is like they invited the big time wrestlers on the Merv Griffin show, and they're like a huge <laughs> battle broke out. <laughs> Have you considered instituting like a handicap, you know, like golfers, like a scratch golfer playing against a, you know, 20 handicap golfer? They could still compete even if uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the, the handicap. ABA, I want the ABA to come out with some handicap guidelines. <laughs> right. Yeah. One for every country. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> or state. I will work on that. Yeah. Because what birding could needs use more, more structure. That's right. Exactly. More rules. Yes. That's what we need. So tell me a little bit about Red Start Birding, your new optics retailing initiative. Well, you know, one, one funny thing is, and this is kind of, uh, this is kind of the genesis of it. We were at the New River Birding Festival sitting in a yeah. hot tub yeah. after a long day of birding, enjoying a beer, like two birding guys do. And... <laughs> We started talking about like, you know, wouldn't it be fun to like go to these cool birding places and just low key kind of like guide and then sell people optics and stuff. And we, we literally were like kicking the idea the around dream. of That's just kind of being this little traveling circus of birding and optics and stuff. And and that, that was like a year before the whole thing happened uh, where, where we actually had the opportunity to, to start Red Start. And of course, it was a no brainer when you get the LeBron James of birding optics on your team, all of a sudden, it's <laughs> Absolutely. Like he's yeah. dunking on yeah. people, you know, um, that was, so it was, it was a no brainer and it was a big thrill for me to, to be able to work with Ben. We've been good friends for a really long time and his guidance has made it possible for us to, to launch this in a very sensible way. And I, and I think 
being able to have the sort of the marketing reach of Birdwatcher's Digest and all the other stuff we do has helped too. But really, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's largely the fact that we had this, you know, we had Ben and his expertise and his sort of ethos brought over from Eagle uh, that, that really helped us get started. Ben, you want to add to that? Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, you know, you kind of are working with birdwatchers and talking to them about optics, binoculars, and spotting scopes for 16 years. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a position where yeah. it's like, huh, I'm going to start doing something differently, but you don't want to let go of all that knowledge, especially if it's something you love doing. So, you know, going on, you jumping mm-hmm. on board with Birdwatchers Digest and helping them, you know, with our podcast and, you know, some of the magazine stuff and the birding tours, it was one of those logical things where it was like, you know, we should really probably maximize my knowledge and experience in terms of e-commerce and retail mm-hmm. and birding and optics and try to do something as a service to bird watchers, especially when, you know, I've found out that, well, Eagle Optics is going to be closing shop. So there's a huge resource that birders have been using for a long time um, mm-hmm. that's going away. And I know a lot about how that operation worked and kind of came from that culture. So, you know, we would probably could do this and really be doing a good service to birders in general, as well as help sustain the bigger project that is the Birdwatchers Digest Global Empire. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, right. it is one of those things that i mean you know but binoculars and spotting scopes is really how i got into birding i i my background's in landscape architecture and restoration ecology i was a plant guy i love the outdoors and and i got turned on to birds doing while i was doing vegetation samples with this person when i was in college where i'd go out in the summer and do some field work there'd be a bird surveyor to survey these grassland birds and so amber would go out and she would do her um bird surveys and i'd help her out just saying like oh there's you know the basic birds i was able to get common yellow throat etc and then uh i got kind of turned on to birds then then i got my job at eagle optics and um from there it was just the rest is history i mean i had access to great optics (laughs) and then all of a sudden birding expertise like you wouldn't believe i'm going to all these birding festivals meeting people like jeff gordon from the aba like bill thompson uh you know all these great birders who are kind of showed me like, hey, this is how we bird. This is what it's about. And then that just took off. So I owe a lot of my birding background to mm-hmm. that history in being able to sell little technical widgets to birders. And I'm glad that we're still doing it. How do you go about matching someone with their perfect pair of binoculars? Oh, that's a great question. You know, there, there are some like, the, the two first things that you always try to figure out is a what size binoculars are going to suit your needs are you looking for mm-hmm. a pair of compact binoculars some mid-size you want 10 power you want eight power so you know you just kind of go over the what does your binocular kind of look like from a size you know and, and, and maybe some features perspective and then you try to figure out all right what's your budget what's your price point mm-hmm. and then you narrow the field down from dozens of choices to maybe four or five choices Right, something um, manageable. Exactly, but it's it's always what size binocular. Okay, so we determined that you you know if you're maybe you're a birder like most birds, you like an eight by forty two. So, and then then it's just a matter of well, how good of an eight by forty two do you want? And I can talk to you about what you get for two hundred dollars. I can versus four hundred versus two thousand versus twenty eight hundred dollars. But you know all these are options, and as you spend more money, there's a consistent kind of theme where the optics get better but of course there's a point where you start getting this diminishing returns and so just explaining some of the nuances of that to people and trying to help them sort out what's important to you are you is your budget primary to you or is a certain degree of performance do you want to see the colors on indigo bunting at dusk when it's backlit 
roosting up in a tree. All right, if you want to see that blue right there, you're, we're looking at binoculars that are going to be of a certain price point and above. But once again, we've decided performance is the best thing that you, you know, thing to focus on. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say size and budget. And then from there, we can go into all the, the details. But, you know, one of the things too that really helps is to just really talk to someone who knows and is familiar with kind of what's out there in the market because window shopping for binoculars i can't imagine what that would be like it's been so long since i've looked at a pair of binoculars next to another pair of binoculars on a computer screen and just saw two of the exact same things but really these are all you know tubes that are either green black or gray that kind of look the same whether they're you know 50 bucks or two thousand dollars on the screen they can all look the same and it can be a pretty confusing thing um so you know working with someone who can kind of suss out the nuances is, is is nice and then of course yeah. always just wherever you get your binoculars be sure you've got a period of time you can try them out be sure you're thrilled with them because no one wants to be stuck with a several hundred dollar or several thousand dollar mistake that they made right yes you know finding someone you can work with that understands what you're looking for and what you're wanting and that just varies so much between individuals but you know we've got a ton of great content like that on our on the red start website redstartbrewing.com i we did a video about the top 10 things you should consider when purchasing binoculars things that covers like well you know what about the warranty etc these aren't videos that say this isn't content that we put up that says you need to buy this brand or this model is the best one for this but it's just these general considerations like ask yourself these questions and then you're going to be in a position to know what you're looking for yeah i love the videos they're um they're a lot of fun i mean no one else is doing that so it's it's great to see when I was at Eagle Optics, I quickly learned that if you really want to effectively reach people to sell them stuff, you've got to have some media chops. Um, and yeah, then when I got that's true. working with Birdwatcher's Digest in the magazine industry, I quickly realized, boy, if you want to work in a media business, you've really got to have some retail chops to be able to kind of like <laughs> buoy the, the bottom line a little bit. So it seems to me that kind of, you know, communicating with people, especially with e-commerce or things like that is critical to being able to provide them with a satisfactory experience and make them feel comfortable with making See? purchases from you. So. Oh, you really are the LeBron James of, uh, of <laughs> birding optics. <laughs> I, I love talking to people about birding and optics. I mean, going to birding festivals when I was with Eagle Optics for years and years and years, right? I got a chance to meet so many people, and it's genuinely something that I enjoy doing, whether I'm on a field trip yeah. with them or behind my booth doing something. So, um, you know, it's I guess it just taps on some of my best abilities in terms of just being able to understand these technical widgets and then just being kind of a people person, you know? So yeah, um, I wouldn't do as well if I was selling insurance or automobile tires, for instance. <laughs> yeah, it's harder. <laughs> for me, anyways. <laughs> uh, insurance does not work nearly as well in low light conditions. Anyway, yeah. Well, uh, good luck next month. The American Birding Expo is September 21st through 23rd in Oaks, Pennsylvania, uh, near Philly. Bill Thompson and Ben Listus are running the thing you can register at AmericanBirdingExpo.com. Thanks, guys. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Hey, Nate. Thanks for having us on the show. It's awesome. I'm really impressed with how you guys uh, are producing all the stuff you do at ABA, and it's always great to see you. I hope we get to see you soon in person. Thanks, Nate. It was great being on. Um, like I said, it's always been a dream of mine to be on the ABA podcast, and now that I've got that off the bucket list, i got to you know go skydiving or something next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something, something small. <laughs> Thank you. 
The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Hey, join the ABA if you want to support this podcast and the many other free resources the ABA provides to the birding community. It's the best way to help us keep doing what we do. You can get more information at aba.org slash join. Tell them the podcast sent you. Special thanks to Kenneth and Jennifer Cherry of San Rafael, California, James and Rosemary Flaherty of Sanibel, Florida, Eric Newton of Penticton, British Columbia, David Robinson of Oakland, California, Kendall Wogenstall of Orem, Utah, Jeremy Schwartz of Lake Forest Park, Washington, Christopher Lewis of Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, Judith Shim of Thousand Oaks, California, and Stephen Martin of Fresno, California, all of whom joined the ABA recently and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for your support and welcome to the ABA. You can also help us by leaving a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone who has already done that. You help us get this little podcast out into the world executive producer of the podcast and president of the aba is jeffrey gordon he's got a great idea for a buddy comedy featuring three different species of troglodytids trying to form a cohesive army unit it's called ren trinity cores Technical production is from John Lowry. He pitched a mobile game in which you are a small rail that is trying to cross a busy highway at rush hour, sort of in the frogger vein. He calls it Sorag Gridlock. So additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese. Their documentary on the fall migration of the Connecticut Warbler is a tour de force. They're calling it The Incredible Skulk. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, and on Twitter at ABA. We know House Sparrow is not a popular choice for Bird of the Year, especially for our 50th year next year, but Ted Floyd was really adamant about it, especially if we marketed it as Black Passer. Questions, comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time.